0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: My name's Christina, and I am the blogger behind We Are Living Art.
0: And my name's Danielle, and I am the blogger behind All Things Coveted.
1: Are we bloggers? Are we influencers? We don't even know. Content creators, all of the above. All of the above. Um, But we're here to share the inside scoop of all of that for you guys. So you know exactly what the fuck is going on. Welcome to another episode of In Case You Haven't Heard. We are back, guys. We are back. And we thought we would spice things up a bit. We have a new
0: series that we are introducing to you guys this episode, and it's the How-To Series.
1: So we thought it'd be really valuable to kind of go into more of a deep dive with our guests that we interview, and specifically choosing guests who have created something, built, you know, a strong career or brand or sort of presence in their industry and our first one to start off is going to be this week's episode. Yeah, this week is our first
0: week and we wanted to get a little bit more educational and analytical for you guys during our interviews so you guys can take some notes and if you wanted to maybe get into that industry, this could give you a guide to how to break into it and how to get into the industry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because um, we kind of structured these episodes more as like a a how to break down like this is the education you would need. This is the day in the life what you would need, like whether it be mentors or investors to open up, you know, whatever it is you're trying to start or to get started on whatever you want to do. So um, we hope it provides a lot of value. Um, It definitely has been interesting for us. Especially getting
0: into kind of breaking down
1: how our guests have become so
0: successful and how they've developed from like the beginning until now because you see people as they are now, but you don't necessarily know what they've been through.
1: And what we think is super important to touch on too is that each of the guests that we have on are all, well, they're all completely different, but they're also all in different stages of their careers. So some might be, you know, at their level of success three years into their business where others might be 10 years in. So we thought kind of giving that diversity would be, would be something that would um, keep things interesting for you guys. For sure. So this
0: week we are interviewing Kathleen. She is an aesthetic medicine nurse and she also has a health optimization practice that she does exclusively at her clinic in Yorkville.
1: Yes, so with her, we deep dive obviously into everything filler, Botox related um, because it's such a hot and trendy topic. Yeah, and you guys really
0: poured in those assumptions when we asked you. This was a little bit ago now, but...
1: Um, So, yeah, so we think that she's a great one to start off. It's also great because it is such a, like, newly popular sort of industry, it seems like. Because of social media. Yeah, and Kylie Jenner, to say the least. Lip injections. So we thought it would be good to kind of give some clarity on, like, what it is being in that field. And I feel like so many people, like, are now nurses and practitioners in that space, So we wanted to hear from Kathleen who's been in it for a while to sort of sort out you know like what you actually need to get into that job. And we'll also be exploring some red flags that you guys can maybe look out for when you're researching
0: clinics around your city um, if you're interested in these types of services and also things to ask your nurse or the practitioner that's maybe administering these injections or procedures
1: yeah so we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and be sure to rate us five stars guys and five stars (laughs) and leave your comments um in the comment section and subscribe so you always
0: get the notification when we post a new episode
1: Um, I was just saying, thank you so much, Kathleen, for having us in your space. It's beautiful. I've been here before, but it's your first time. Yeah, it's so zen. I love it. It is pretty zen. That was the goal.
0: (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah, that was the goal. (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
1: I guess we could start with that. Like it's not your typical, I guess, aesthetic medicine space. So why did you kind of want it to be this like homey, very, I guess, zen and inviting environment?
2: So as you may know, I lived in San Francisco, California for seven years before I came to Toronto. And I really loved that, you know, in that environment, it's all about kind of taking care of not just the body, but also the soul. And so I tried to really create something that looks at kind of that entire piece. When patients come and their experience, I wanted them to have kind of an ethereal experience as well as, you know, getting certain treatments done.
0: Okay. So why don't you start off with introducing yourself, who you are and your practice.
2: So my name is Kathleen
0: McDonald,
2: and I am the founder of Precision Health Center. practice basically has two arms. One is aesthetic medicine, uh, injectables, Botox, fillers, PRP, hair restoration, and then the other arm is health optimization, anti-aging medicine, kind of layman's terms, biohacking. So looking at all the new research coming out on genetics, microbiome and then using those data points to really optimize my patient's health.
0: Previously, what is your background? Um, were you a nurse before? And and did you all were you always in the medical field? So I've always been in the medical field. I was did most of my
2: training and my career in the US at University of Michigan and University of California, San Francisco. And I started uh, my master's program to be a nurse practitioner. What I, that's what I currently am, my current job title, nurse practitioner at UCSF. And then I transferred over and finished it at University of Toronto. And from there, I took a job with the cardiac surgery team at Toronto General Hospital and was working long, intensive hours before I jumped um, into creating my own platform and looking at what I'm doing here.
1: So um, once you transitioned from being a nurse in that environment to kind of deep diving into more of, like, the aesthetic side of things, why did you decide to open up your own space as opposed to, you know, joining forces or working somewhere else? Because I know there's a lot um, of spots, I guess. Maybe not in Toronto specifically, uh, but... Really,
2: that's a good question, actually. I think I had my own vision. One of the main things that I really wanted to provide to patients was... A place of credibility I think when you go up to a lot of different clinics you you don't really know one what is the best service for you to invest in so to that point I wanted to have a place where I would educate my client on what they truly need and not kind of upsell them on things that they don't really need or would benefit from so I wanted to be an outlier in that case um, and have that dynamic of
1: trust. I think something that I would personally be kind of like, not skeptical of, but just curious is like, yeah, you think that when you go into someplace like that, they're automatically going to upsell you because for they sure. want you to pay for more things. But like when it comes to something so specific and like to your body, especially, I think it's important that like that's something that from the beginning it's... It's something that you wanted to like stand away from.
0: For me, thinking about it in the way that you've curated this space, like going into, I haven't done sort of cosmetic, but I've done like laser hair removal treatments and all of those services are also kind of in a clinic that would also provide these, like for example, the Toronto Plastic Surgery Clinic and all of right. these other clinics. And when I've been inside uh, the space, it's very stale, very... It's not oh, inviting, well, it's, it's like not, you don't feel comfortable, and right. something that also makes it not feel genuine and build that trust is they have, obviously, it's important, the cost and, you know, cost efficiency, and, and they'll they'll kind of sell you on packages and mm-hmm. all of these deals, and it really, I'm super skeptical about that because it's like, okay, you know, are you just right. selling me this, like, eight-package you know, do I really need these eight sessions, or are you just trying to, you so know... it's very
2: observant, so I'll kind of weigh in on that. In some cases, it's true. You do need more than one right. treatment. You know, and then in the other cases, there is a business model to this. And really what I try to do is take those two perspectives, because I this is a business. But I also would rather grow more slowly, organically, with uh, having patients come back again and that be kind of my package equivalent. So really building that trust that, you know, if I know I'm giving them what they need and a quality service at that, they're gonna come back and then they're gonna refer their friends to come to me as well. So that's kind of my equivalent to a package. I really wanted to use the science because there is a science to aesthetic medicine as well as, you know, the anti-aging medicine, but to the aesthetic medicine, there's a science to it. And you really to get good outcomes, whoever is treating you needs to understand the science and really apply that to the individual patient versus just trying to sell as many packages that may or may not be indicated for the, you know, Mm -hmm. for the, for the client.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that we don't see a lot because, like, right now, fillers and Botox and all that is so popular and, like, trending. So it's kind of like, yeah, a lot of people might be coming to you or to other places because, let's just use Kylie Jenner as an example, with her lip filler, like, Bella Hadid, with her, like, cheeks, it's like, oh, it's trending now, so everyone wants it. So a lot of people go in to do it just because they want to like achieve that aesthetic, but they don't actually know that there is the science behind it. So I think highlighting that is definitely super important because it is something that you're like putting into your body.
2: Yeah, I think it's important for people to understand it's a medical procedure. So you want to ensure that whoever's doing the treatment has not only the eye kind of to, to contour and treat you appropriately so you actually look good after (laughs) but also you want to ensure they know their anatomy there are documented cases of people going blind from uh, inappropriate filler injections so it's a medical procedure often i'll have people call and the primary focus is the cost per syringe and i'm really trying to educate them that there's so much more into their decision tree if you will that they should be looking at other than the cost for syringe. It's a medical procedure. It's like anything else. And you want to make sure that the practitioner is skilled, that they know their anatomy, to know where the danger zones are, especially when it comes to fillers, and if there is any issues, that they know how to manage those issues in the moment to prevent it from
0: getting worse. Yeah. and the cost of probably you know going back and correcting those mistakes exactly. that these sort of practitioners might do is tremendously more than it's more than yeah. what you would cost per rn. You
2: get what you pay for yeah. it is true. Right? Yeah, industry and everyone's got a minimal amount of margin that they're trying to, you know, to create so or target. And that can be affected by cutting corners with the training for their you know the staff it can be cut by using a cheaper filler and that's one of the things I literally always ensure for my patients here is that they're getting the best quality of the product as well and that means it's gonna look better and more natural when it once treated and usually it lasts significantly longer so there's so many nuances that I think it's important for your audience to understand in doing the research before selecting where to go other than a Groupon ad?
1: <laughs> oh my god! Right? That
2: <laughs>
0: this is not the place to use a Groupon
1: ad. <laughs> this is not the place. Yeah, yeah.
2: Or just get that kind of discounted cost of each syringe.
0: So, what's something that for an audience member that may be interested in in having these procedures or researching clinics? Are there any sort of you know maybe red flags that they should look out for? Red flags
2: are. One, that they're not following the regulations by Health Canada and the different regulatory bodies. So that would be you know, a case where you have a nurse or a, a registered practical nurse injecting and they're not doing a consultation with a physician or a nurse practitioner, especially for the initial treatment. So that's, that's actually legislation that they have to follow. And I know there's a lot of clinics that are doing that. They're trying to cut corners by not it's expensive to have to consult an a nurse practitioner like myself or a physician to ensure that there's no contraindications to them being injected. So that's one probably the most common things that I've seen in this area that would compromise safety for the patient. For the patient. Yeah.
1: So since we are going to kind of introduce this how-to series on educating you guys on how you can kind of obtain this job or if it's a kind of career path that you want to take, what the steps would be, let's start off with education since we touched on that. So what are the different ways you can be qualified to administer Botox or filler treatments like that?
2: So education was probably the biggest hurdle I had because it's expensive. (laughs) So you have your foundational training, so you do your undergrad Um, So I did mine and I did a double major, so nursing and biology. Then I went back and did my master's. And then on top of that, you start training at different clinics for the actual injection piece. So there's that side of it, as well as attending conferences, learning kind of what's the most current techniques to inject. Because like everything in, in medicine, it's always evolving and it's improving. So one, you have to keep up with that to make sure that you're offering the patient the best treatment modalities that are currently available. Um, so that's a big piece. It's usually constant exposure to different programs, courses, it's an ongoing trajectory. So what I did was in addition to my you know, academics was I trained at clinics in Toronto. I paid for courses to, to attend weekend courses. I, you know, had master injectors here helping me improve my own technique and skill with patients. It was an ongoing evolution to get to the point where I felt comfortable opening a clinic and knowing that I could offer the best service to to each person that, you know, walks in. Mm-hmm. So, I am a nurse practitioner, so that entailed Four year undergrad degree and then going back and doing a two year master's degree and then writing a licensing exam to actually be able to have an independent practice okay. so and that means writing prescriptions things like that ordering diagnostics
0: and someone who maybe would want to join a clinic would be up until the licensing like you would do the four years undergrad and then your masters. right
2: so if someone wanted to join a clinic as a RN or RPN it's a two to four year undergraduate program okay if they want to run their own clinic and not hire in or consult in a medical director which I had talked about earlier then they have to go on and do their masters or have a medical degree be an MD
1: so how much experience would you say is enough experience to open your own practice that's a
2: great question, because I think a lot of people do start on the earlier side. I was a little more conservative. Really, what it comes down to is, one, how skilled are you? It's artistry, in a way. Mm-hmm. How, you know, how good is a, a painter going to be, you know, earlier on in their career compared to someone who's been doing it, you know, for years and getting a lot of clientele? The other thing is the knowledge and the comfort with managing complications. I think that's a, it's a two-part. Okay. That's a two-part answer because really you want to be able to handle complications so you're keeping your patients safe, and two, you really want to have that security that you know that they're going to leave here satisfied and they're going to be happier than they were when they walked in. And I think we all see the bad jobs of Botox and mm-hmm. filler, mm-hmm. and that usually is related to lack of experience, training, skill set. You should never know someone's had work. It should look completely natural
0: and just enhance their own features.
1: Which is honestly rare to come by, I feel yeah. like. Well, I mean,
0: because of sort of social media and that whole aesthetic world becoming mm-hmm. so popular. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen this in your practice, but I mean like Botched is now.
1: I haven't watched okay. it. I feel like I'd be scared. I'm so like not good with needles. It's
0: it's mm-hmm. all about these procedures that are right. have gone wrong and it's like you would think that these people would have the, the common sense to say okay maybe I shouldn't go to like yeah. Tijuana, Mexico and get my boobs done for but half it, the price. There's so many cases where I'm, wa- I'm watching the show I mean, and the stories that they tell it's like you would think that they would have the common sense to maybe this is the place to spend the most amount of money because it's your body you're injecting something or you're putting something a foreign object into your body so wouldn't you want the best of the best not the half price 50 percent off it's definitely not a a place you want to cut corners
2: i think we're desensitized we're used to having everything discounted for us Mm -hmm. whether it be food you know where we get our groceries we, you know, fast food, we just kind of have that mentality in our society. And really it only comes back to, to harm us because you do get what you pay for. i being on the insiders of this whole world. I've seen so many complications and I've had, you know, patients come to me that have gone to other clinics with complications that they want fixed. And I can tell you, you really want to do your due diligence in seeking out someone who you trust and who's reliable before you invest. Because if it's a difference between $200, you have to think about how much is that $200 worth between going to someone who's, you know, got this skill set and the safety kind of tools in, in place, you know, and someone where you're gonna have to chance that and save
0: that $200. It's also the trust piece is if you have a weird feeling about the clinic and the person who is administering it, don't do it. I went to a clinic and it was in Yorkville and and I assumed oh it's in Yorkville it's you know it must be like the best of the best the you know it, it seemed really beautiful but I felt like they really upselled me on this like package deal for this laser and I felt like I kind of was sold by this facade and really I was consulted by a nurse at that time. I'm not sure if she was a nurse practitioner or just uh, what would you call it? It would have been RPN. 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 I, I'm not sure what her credibility or credentials mm. were. That was my fault. I was also really young at the time. I was probably 19. Then when I went for my first appointment, it was someone else. So then right then and there, but I had already paid for this package. Right. So then right there I was kind of just like, oh, this is weird. Like mm-hmm. I was consulted by this person who was telling me all of these great things. And then when I went in to go get my laser treatment, it wasn't the same person.
1: And she spoke as if she's like, yeah, I do this. I've had this much experience. Like, right. I've done this. Patients.
0: And, and I had no idea. And I just figured because the clinic was in Yorkville, it must be reputable. Yeah.
1: So did you do it? Yeah, well I paid for the eight packages, <laughs> yeah. I did my
0: laser treatments, mm-hmm. but then I ended up, now I, I went to a different clinic to to continue. Uh, continue. Yeah.
2: So that's important, a point that you highlight, so I'm very particular about my brand, I guess, mm-hmm. if you will, and I really want to protect that. So I have been slow to bring on any staff because of the fact I would rather work long hours and do it myself, bring on somebody who doesn't quite have the same work ethic that i do or that attention to detail really my attention to detail means that your appointments are going to be longer you know but your your outcomes are going to be significantly better i'm a perfectionist
1: if something's like not exactly right even if for you you think it's fine she's like no just just set up let's do this let's do this let's tweak it which i think is a great thing because right. normally in past experience it's like you go in for like a 30-minute appointment and they do it, and you're like, oh, what if tomorrow or in a week it's, you know, a little lopsided, say it's full or, or whatever. Yeah. Kathleen would be like, no, come back next week so we can check just to make sure. Well,
0: it's your name, you it's know? You're your, your right? best yeah. promotion. Your right. mar- you are right. your marketing
2: team. Right. I also am just naturally invested. I've had, you know, before I opened my own clinic, I went to another clinic in the area that I will not name. But I went in to get my first Botox treatment I'd ever had. And they treated me with seventy units of Botox. I can tell you that is Seventy? Seven zero. I have no idea what oh so <laughs> normally okay. it's between thirty five and forty units on average. Oh wow. So So double. So double. So the and the reason is because we all sell Botox by the unit. So obviously if you sell me more Botox mm-hmm. then you're gonna make more money on mm-hmm. me. During this time I was doing my masters at University of Toronto, it was so much and it was in the forehead that it was actually I had a hard time focusing, so my vision was affected, etc. So it just goes to show you that the, you know, and, and that experience for me was awful because that lasted quite a while, that Botox, because there was so much of it. It <laughs> lasted five months. Oh, my God. And I, one, I was embarrassed to go out because I looked like my, I had no facial expression at all. Two, I could barely read all the, you know, copious amounts of textbooks I had at that time of doing my master's. So I never wanted anyone who you know to to at least who came here to ever experience something like that. And one of the foundations of what I do here is to ensure that those kind of experiences are are not, never part of what you know precision health is and that they only get what they need and and no more and they're not you know sold on things that like you know things that they actually don't
0: need at all in the first place so that's like number 1 for me so when i was researching botox preventative botox filler etc and i inquired about it at the clinic i was going to mm-hmm. they had said which i think is a health violation Mm -hmm. they had said you can buy a syringe use partial Mm -hmm. and then they'll keep it in the fridge for you for next time isn't yeah. that
2: a health violation? It is. So okay. if they are going to sell like a half syringe, they have to open up the other half for you at a later date, a new half.
1: Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they have smaller like yeah. vials? Or is that what they're called? Or just no, small?
2: the vials come in one ml. So when oh, you're okay. buying a syringe, you're really buying one full ml. And then if you're buying half, you're buying half an ml. So it's up to them if they're going to kind of take that loss and then open up a new one for you at a later date. Some people will do a half a syringe and some will do only a full and you have to buy the full and, and whatever you don't
0: use. Just, but if someone's telling you that they're going to keep it for you for the next time, right? that's, that's a, a That's yeah. a red flag.
1: Yeah. So coming back to the how-to part um, or how-to series, so since it is so trending and it yeah. is so like... I don't know. I would say almost oversaturated. The market. At least it appears to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. the market of you know like Botox and fillers and all that stuff. So how is it like finding placement? Like obviously you're not looking for placement, but for someone who would be looking to get a job, like is it hard to find a job at a clinic? Or yeah,
2: it's really hard. It's really hard. Um, it's hard because nobody wants to hire you if you don't have experience. So how do you get the experience? Okay. So what did I do? I basically kind of paid out of pocket to go to these private training schools to do that. And then I also volunteered my time at different clinics, shadowing, observing, not making money, just kind of getting that extra exposure. Um, I did a lot of reading. It's, it's, it was really kind of an investment. You have to be willing to uh, have that... Reserve that you can pull from to investigate to into this industry. It's hard to kind of crack that Shell and get into it when you don't have any experience. It takes per- perseverance. It's not impossible like everything But you have to know that you are committing at least to one year of an, like investment in your education When it comes to this before you're probably gonna make any money.
1: And it's like starting a business. Honestly, yeah, so mm-hmm. it's very entrepreneurial in that sense Exactly
2: well. exactly. It's a great area. I love it. I it's the one thing that I can do, you know, I have a patient come and leave within an hour and they're excited after they leave and they feel really good about how they look. And it truly is like artistry, you know, you have you have the canvas, you have the, the face is your canvas. And when you have the eye to see how you want to contour and what are the areas that they really need to kind of correct the areas that they're bringing up, you can really, you really have that skillful eye, then you can improve it and they leave and they look absolutely gorgeous. So it's probably one of the most fun things I do. Very rewarding.
0: Yeah. Very
1: rewarding. Yeah.
0: In regards to your day in the life, what would sort of, maybe you can talk about previously, not right now, because you know, you are at a startup stage of a clinic, but when you're maybe putting in hours, what would your day in the life look like Mm -hmm. as this aspiring? aspiring, Yeah. uh, So a day in my life that it looked like I would
2: be working at with the cardiac surgery team at Toronto General usually I would be there from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. kind of like a Monday to Friday schedule and then I would jump in an uber race you know up to Yorkville and train at one of the aesthetic clinics in Yorkville and I would stay there for a couple of hours so I would do that two to three nights a week and then on weekends I would be doing um, different training courses for the injectables I would have hire in a master injector someone who's kind of like the trains all the plastic surgeons and the nurse practitioners and the nurses on injecting i would hire them in and have friends that wanted to that were okay being a guinea pig and we would have one-on-one training sessions and it was really just a matter of kind of repeating that cycle over and over again to the point where i was getting more comfortable and ready to consider seeing patients here
0: and now your day in the life, how many patients do you usually see a day? It's varied
2: because I'm doing kind of two specialties. One, I'm doing the aesthetic medicine mm-hmm. and then I'm also doing this other arm of anti-aging medicine. In any given week, I could see, you know, 10 to 20 patients for the aesthetics. And then the, the anti-aging medicine is usually a smaller population because that's more labor intensive. So usually five patients a week for that
1: and then is there a lot of like back-end stuff like a lot of like, so much so much <laughs> and like what kind of stuff goes into that that isn't like say something typical like is there a lot of research you have to do is there reports like you were saying you were like working on earlier like what kind of back-end is there is it required or is it just kind of by choice to keep yourself organized
2: so for aesthetics, not as much. the The back end for aesthetics really was all the intensive training, okay. which is always ongoing, and making sure I'm staying, you know, current and going, you know, going to these conferences when they're available, and always improving my techniques. The back end is also when it comes to that is spending time with the patient. That this is kind of a complimentary service I do for my patients. I'll spend time with them, educating them on what they actually need, and going over the mm-hmm. different facials, you know, kind of zones, and Letting them know, you know, if they come to me and they want me to treat kind of the smile lines, how do I truly correct that properly? Because you don't just inject directly into the smile line. So I like to spend a lot of time with patients on the how-tos and the importance of, you know, understanding what's the proper way to correct and improve different areas that require filler. So that's kind of the back end for that. For the anti-aging, that's more the area where I'm spending time reviewing genetic reports and and what have you. That's more labor-intensive.
0: I think that's really important because for me, hearing you speak about it, that helps build trust. Education helps build your trust with someone who's coming in. So if I understand what you're doing, I'm going to trust you no matter what, like with whatever you Mm -hmm. think I need, with whatever treatments that you're providing because you're giving me the education the tool that I need right. to kind of understand you know my face or whatever you're going to be working on I haven't been to a lot of clinics but the clinics that I've been to in the past <laughs> I feel like or in my in my mind most clinics are like revolving doors you know you come in do your own research this is what we're going to give you because you came in inquiring about it oh yes you for sure need that right and then you kind of pay for it you get it and you leave people are smart
2: and they're and you can't fool somebody at the end of the day when they go back home and they you know see the outcomes they're gonna know this was something that was beneficial and was a value add for them or not and most and you hear about it so many times you with the laser i mean with the botox you know that's over kind of sell and do too much you don't get the value back Mm and you won't go back as a client anyway the harm for someone like me is that I'm up against a big culture that operates that way. Right. So I have to build that trust you know, with every single person that comes in because they all come in with that concern and it's legitimate. Or skepticism. Mm-hmm. Skepticism. Right. Yeah. So I really have to try and create a new understanding of how I operate from an aesthetic medicine perspective. And then mm-hmm. I'm trying to be the antithesis to that. And, and hope that that will, over time, grow a business versus oversaturating
0: with packages and, and unneeded treatments. And for someone who's coming into this market come, that would be interested in, in this a career, what type of trajectory could they have? They have to be prepared to be patient.
2: <laughs> it, like anything, takes time to grow. I mean, the first two years, I would say, you really are spending money more than you're making money you're investing it into your education, especially if you're gonna do it from this perspective where you really want to offer, you know, a five star service. You you have to invest in that. And so, you know, the first couple of years you really have to be prepared that you can float and carry that without making a lot you're not really in, in the green, you're more in the, <laughs> in red, in the, in red. the red. So you have to build a float through that two year window I would say. If you want to come out on the other side and you know, and this is your goal.
1: And if you do take this on as whether it be uh, like an RN or taking it on as more of like a full-time opening your own practice sort of role like I don't know what kind of like lifestyle could you like kind of upkeep depending on what you decide to do like it's quite fulfilling right it is a medical procedure so because of all Mm -hmm. the education get paid a better salary overall or yeah I mean I
2: guess that's a hard question to answer because literally at the beginning you do spend so much money on the business itself Mm -hmm. you do that with keeping in mind that one day it's all going to pay off and if you have what it takes to survive, you'll, you know, you'll eventually kind of get your dues back. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning, you don't have that extra income to do, you know, all the things you want to do. So getting manis and petties and going to the spa and getting facials, that kind of comes off of your, for sure. You, you know, you're spending income and you're having to instead invest in the business. And you really have to know this is something you're passionate about and you want to do because there is a lot of sacrifice, not just, you know, the finances, but it's also, it's a huge commitment. There'll be days where I wake up at four thirty and I'll work until 10 o'clock at night on this. So it's a big time investment as well as financial investment. But I do believe that
0: if it's something that you're passionate about and you love, it's worth it. It's all worth it in the end. And coming from a nursing background, first of all, was there an educational point that you had to pivot? And was there a personal point where you decided that you wanted to make this your specialty?
2: There definitely was an educational pivot. My background was always critical care medicine, cardiac surgery, so this was a major a major in 180. And again, I was passionate about this, so it was more exciting for me to start learning something new and jump all in. And this was after your undergrad? And this was after my undergrad. This was about three years after my undergrad. I think the main thing was I was really ready and I believe you know we all have that internal compass that's kind of giving us nudges. I felt ready. I knew it was the right time to do this. I knew that I had I was on to something, you know, the things that we've discussed, one just, you know, after my own personal experiences, I knew that there was a gap in the market that, you know, that was a valuable gap. And that is one that is the skill, the high skilled safety And really kind of going about this industry from a different angle and and building trust with the client and, and having maybe more of an ethical approach to aesthetic medicine than what I had experienced and I know other people experienced as well. So I believed in it. I was passionate about it. And it just seemed like the right time. And so, you know, it was a go for me, 100%.
1: That's awesome. So we got a bunch of questions because obviously a lot of people are interested in this topic. So we wanted to kind of go through them with you. The first is preventative Botox versus non-preventative. So
2: preventative Botox is when you start, I mean, I'll have patients come in their mid-20s, you know, starting that even as young as 23. And it's really individual. It's individualized. Do they need it or not? when i tell someone if they need it preventatively at that age is when they start having strong kind of those strong furrow lines or the frown lines or kind of like when you raise your eyebrows and you see kind of creases starting to present when you get on top of that earlier you're going to save yourself down the line from getting kind of permanent creases almost Mm -hmm. if you in the skin so that's preventative and if someone comes to me and they want to kind of get you know any insight to what their needs are I usually spend this time with them I tell them yes you're ready to do this you know this is a this is a value-add for you or no you're not quite there yet then for actual active treatment and this is where I'll get a lot of patients in their 30s 40s and and onwards and they will already kind of have those lines that have evolved over the years from you know the different facial expressions frowning and what have you the smile lines however if they stick with it and they start, you know, staying on top of Botox and or adding in things like retinol or, you know, fillers, mm-hmm. you can actually reverse it and correct it. So okay. it's never too late. Um, it Just maybe a little bit more work on the back end than on the
1: front end. What is your most popular service and which is your favorite to perform?
2: I equally love the health optimization as much as I love the injectables. I like them all, actually, equally. <laughs> <laughs> I your time. babies all over the They baby, balance yeah. each other out, you know. The aesthetic medicine is kind of a, an immediate gratification, and I've been getting really good outcomes, very natural, restorative outcomes, and everyone's been really happy so far, and that always feels good. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the health optimization, that's something that, from a science perspective, I find fascinating in that you can literally reverse disease, optimize health, make people actually feel better, especially when they start aging after the age of 35. And those kind of getting those emails back from them saying that they, you know, they have more energy, et cetera, they're feeling a lot better, also are equally as rewarding for me. So two different areas, they they balance each other out, you know, and I'm passionate about them both, I would say.
1: Would you want to just give us your elevator pitch on the health optimization just because I don't think we touched on that yet?
2: Yeah, so health optimization, basically disease never happens overnight. And everyone, the way our model of care is, we all think we have free health care here in Canada. We don't. We have free disease care. However, like I said, disease takes decades to evolve. There are now diagnostic tools we have available to us and research where we can identify early markers of disease progression and if you identify those early markers then you can target them, treat them, you can prevent disease and you can actually reverse kind of the progression that's happened so far and then you actually make somebody feel better. For example cardiovascular disease is probably one of the number one killers. How we treat it conventionally is we wait until all their cholesterol numbers kind of peak beyond a certain value then we put them on things like Crestor or other medications to lower that. However, you can actually predict that someone's going to have issues with their cholesterol much earlier and prevent it from actually developing in the first place. You can identify the risk factors based on genetics, as an example, and then you can optimally treat them with different nutraceuticals to prevent it from happening in the first place. Okay, so what is an anti aging secret that you swear by? I swear by data. <laughs> so I really like to have the individual's data points, being genetics, certain blood tests, because I think it's important to customize wellness plans to the individual versus doing a one fits all approach to the masses. Perfect example is diet. A lot of people will try these different trendy diets, but If you do your genetics, you will actually know what diet you're best suited for. Are you suitable for a ketogenic diet or are you going to gain weight on it? And that really is in your DNA. So Mm -hmm. really what I swear by is data because it is that kind of individualized picture that helps me
0: get a home run in outcomes when I start treating somebody. I mean, you're saying that it's very personalized, but there are any food choices or supplements, vitamins that everyone should do.
2: So when you look at things like the blue zones for, you know, who, for like, who lives the longest, like well into the hundreds, there's blue zones. So one of them is Okinawa, Japan. And the residents there are living about to 110 on average.
1: Wow. And so
2: (laughs) the main things that they're doing is when they're very physically active, to they have a certain amount of caloric restriction. We eat a lot in North America, way more than we need. And they don't eat a lot of industrialized meat like we are eating here. And they don't have kind of the pesticides that we have here. So everything's organic, it's very clean food. Those are probably some of the top things that you can extend to like mass civilizations as far as anti-aging. When it comes to vitamins or nutraceuticals, that's an interesting topic because that's at least in my practice where I really rely on the genetics because I think a lot of people spend money on nutraceuticals or you know supplements they don't really need in the first place instead of getting them on the right customized plan where you can really target air pathways that need to be optimized.
0: So how about someone who's taking like a multivitamin or calcium that, magnesium or Yeah, so and those are probably the top, you know, investments people
2: have as far as supplements go. It comes down to the quality of the source. Mm-hmm. So anything that you can buy over the counter, you know, Jameson or what have you. <laughs> Jameson, I've
1: yeah. literally seen up all my entire life. My dad and my mom every oh, yeah? morning. <laughs>
2: yeah, so that's more like testing. So you're not. Re- they don't have to meet the same regulations as a professional or pharmaceutical grade line, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. So. I think it's worthwhile to spend the extra $10 on a bottle of a multivitamin get a really good quality one from my clinic than going to Whole Foods or you know shoppers and buying something there because you're not really getting any value from it in the first place. Calcium magnesium, same thing. Interestingly, we don't really need to take calcium. What you really need is a good uh, formulation of vitamin D because the reason why you take calcium is for bone mineral density. But if you have a really good vitamin D formulation, which is vitamin D3 with K2, the K2 actually delivers calcium into the bone. So unless you have that, you can take as much calcium as you want. You're not gonna get any benefit from it as far as a bone mineral density perspective goes.
0: And something that I'm interested in personally is like superfoods. That's a huge thing, Mm -hmm. huge topic. People talk about superfoods, like the top Mm -hmm. 10 superfoods you should eat. Mm -hmm. What is your take on that? And do you have any foods that, in your daily life, you, you try to have every day or every week? Or. I
2: think a heavy plant-based diet is important with the healthy fats. And within the plant-based, you want to not only incorporate the leafy greens, but you also want to go for the colored vegetables and diversity in the, in the different colors. So those colors that you see in the vegetables are actually nutrient-dense molecules that have a lot of benefit that we need for our cells and what have you. So I think, you know, diversifying that as well as incorporating healthy fats. We need fats for brain function. And there's so many benefits from getting a good either omega, you know, good fish oil and also getting, you know, a good extra virgin olive oil or avocado oil. They are very anti-inflammatory. They have a lot of other nutrient properties that we need on a cellular level to, to be healthy.
1: Have you um, taken a look at Game Changers on Netflix? I
2: did. I think it's an interesting documentary. I haven't watched the entire the entire film, okay. start to finish. It has been critiqued for not being very evidence based. Yes. You know, you know, and everything I'm trying to do here is, what is the science collectively showing? I know enough to know that a heavy plant based diet that you know diversifies the leafy greens, the colored vegetables with a limited amount of red meats because there is a chemical TMIO in red meats that is unhealthy and staying away from the industrial meat that's got so many problems in of itself is a good diet in general so you want organic you want to stay away from those pesticides you want to stay away from the industrial raised meat if someone's more of a pescatarian even with that you want to stay away from certain types of fish that are higher in mercury or the farm raised fish that are getting sprayed those farms that that we see, we now know that they get sprayed like the crops do. It really is looking at not just the food source, but how it's raised. Where is, you know, kind of doing your due diligence and researching, where are you getting your produce from? And...
1: Yeah, because one thing that I mean, I listened to the whole critique um, by Joe Rogan. Oh, good. He, and I think he had on one of the, I can't remember who it was, but he had him on his podcast and they just basically broke down the entire documentary. but. One thing they were saying is, yes, it's not evidence-based at all. While there's so many points that, like, didn't really make sense, it's like, obviously the guy who was at the forefront of the film, the athlete, like, they weren't filming him when he, like made certain discoveries so like it was obviously stage, and like there's certain things um came up like that they were critiquing on in in that sense but Mm -hmm. i think ultimately and what you're kind of saying too is it's not really about oh vegan diet's the best or you know a carnivore like diet is the best it's more so being aware of where your food sources come from Mm -hmm. and then depending on your body catering to it in that sense it's really about like finding like what's clean what's like natural what's well raised versus the shortcuts into diets because something else that they brought up was like these guys who are like massive trainers or athletes to get like x amount of protein without using any animal byproducts or any animal products at all they get most of their intake from protein powder because you literally can't ingest enough calories with plant-based food or like with being vegan um for them to like up- upkeep the strength that they need to compete or whatever so then the argument was like okay well if like you have four thousand calories a day and if you know three of your meals are literally protein powder like how is that better because like whole natural foods maybe they're taking
0: cricket protein powder
1: well it there's like pea sprouts and soy and all this but it still goes back to like i think a lot of people agree with this too and i personally agree with this it's like whole foods are going to be what's best for your body. The natural state of the way something, you know, is grown... Is meant to be... Is, like, that's the way it was meant to be eaten, and that's the way that we should eat it. So, modifying it in any way, or, like, relying on a modification of food to be your main source of fuel... And trusting
2: the manufacturer, and it's also... And all
1: that. that. (laughs) Sitting in plastic containers,
2: and do you look at the fine print to see what the main ingredients are? I mean, I always tell my patients to read the fine print on the labels if something's gonna live in your cupboard you know longer than you know three of us put together (laughs) the preservatives I can say are not not healthy for us you really do want to use the whole foods and you want to diversify I think each item of food offers different nutrient value and you know you get B12 from things like eggs and meat that we need so it's really hard to do vegan in a healthy way you have to really have Supplements to support it mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that will kind of fill
1: in that gap. And something else they we talking about too. And yeah. then the
2: processed foods. I, I just have a hard time with processed
0: foods whether it be in the form of a, a supplement powder or what have you. like
1: Or a g- vegan sausage.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah. I think that I have to say that the one thing that I think the documentary did well was changing oh, the mindset th- and the perspective. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe the data doesn't line up but as someone who is a consumer of the marketing behind the poultry and the meat industry you kind of you kind of get this like aha moment where you know you're watching this documentary and it's presented to you in a way that is relatable mm-hmm. especially for guys who
1: think they need uh, to eat it, it, need to need, lift heavy exactly
0: yeah. you're seeing all these professional athletes and you're like wait maybe I need to take a step back and research this further and see what diet is best for me so to that point
2: there's a lot of research in the world of anti-aging medicine and one of the kind of top guys is david sinclair he's from harvard and he's really identified the aging pathways along with a lot of other kind of scientists and there's three main anti-aging pathways mTOR AMP kinase and oh there's one more so the sirtuin pathway and really too much protein or amino acids which is are the building blocks of protein affect and downregulate these anti-aging pathways. So too much meat will activate your aging pathways and make you age quicker than someone. So that's why places like Okinawa, Japan, where it's low protein, actually believe is believed to be one of the areas that it's a blue zone. So too much protein is actually harmful. Interesting.
1: Too much of anything, yeah. right? Yeah. Moderation. On this podcast, we like to always ask assumptions mm-hmm. to our guests, but also to our interviewers about like their industry, what they do. So, starting with the ones that we found, um, one is assumptions. I think about Botox or filler. Once you stop, you can't stop. Or once, once you, you start, start, you start. You can't, can't stop. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I actually get that question a lot too. You can always stop. You just go back to your own baseline. It doesn't make you reliant on it per se and that it's going to change kind of your anatomy Mm -hmm. but i think what happens is you just have a new baseline that you've all of a sudden really kind of liked and you don't want to go back to (laughs) your prior baseline but you can stop and start at any time when people are doing botox I will say that the ones that in the end save money are the ones that do it like clockwork every three months so that it doesn't fully wear off. In the end, if they stay on top of it, they'll need less Botox more frequently if they stay on top of it. The patients that leave it for, you know, two months and come back, it's like starting from ground zero. We have to do that large dose again to kind of knock out the muscle groups and, and soften those lines and it's more of an expense. So you can always stop and start but there are kind of tricks to the trade if people want to do it economically
0: and another question that we got was for someone who maybe be interested in preventative Botox obviously it would be different for you know every person because of the lines that they may have because of facial expressions etc but um, do you have sort of an age or a range that you recommend someone maybe starting
2: it's really that individual I recently had a a male client that came in and he was very healthy very active he was probably 25 so on the younger side but he had developed really strong forehead lines and frown lines so someone like him it was a good time for him to start because those creases would eventually become permanent Mm -hmm. it does affect the dermis itself so he was a perfect candidate to get started I've had other patients who i barely see you know lines and i tell them no you're not ready yet so it really depends how deep those lines are and uh for me to kind of it's hard for me to generalize in that aspect i you know i always will do a complimentary session with someone kind of assess them and say this is where
0: they're at do you, do they need it yet yes or no and also um another thing is is that botox can only be used for lines like mm. aesthetic purposes but there are other treatments. benefits and yeah. treatments that so, so what are used, some of those
2: two other examples would be for migraines so there's different migraine mm-hmm. patterns that you can treat using botox and that are getting really good outcomes uh and the second one is when people kind of have that the teeth grinding at night this is a there's two muscles here that's the masseter and you mm-hmm. can inject that muscle that's really causing that um, Clenching or the teeth grinding at night and relax that muscle. So, that would be two uh, other indicators other than aesthetic purposes for Botox.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It's been such a
0: pleasure. And you guys
1: were great. Um, why don't you plug in your social handles so people can check you out and follow you or, you know, maybe Perfect. inquire?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I have two Instagram accounts one for the aesthetic, which is kate nicole inc and then one for the health optimization where we do genetics microbiome supplements and that's precision health center and center ctr so those are the two handles and the website is precisionhealthcenter.com and i'm happy to answer any questions or meet with anyone who's got questions that they would like
1: answered yeah just shoot her a dm and um she will answer all of your questions guys so thank you we'll see you next time thanks guys <laughs>